0: We are so honored to have a guest with us. Brother and Sister Mahaney come to us from the state of Arkansas, I believe it's where they call home, but wherever that fifth wheel is, is actually where his home is. He preached to us on Friday night at our youth rally and blessed our hearts. He's coming this morning to open his heart and the word of the Lord to us and share his testimony with us. He keeps looking at his watch, and I just told him, quit looking at your watch. I want him to be able to just take his liberty this morning and minister whatever the Lord has for us. How many of you are in agreement this morning? Come on, welcome. Evangelist Nick Mahaney, we love and appreciate you. Come preach your heart to us. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on, do you love him in this place? Come on, I love him so much. He's done so much for me.
1: There is a name I love to hear. I love to see its words. It sounds like music in my the sweet. i more time.
0: your hands turn one more time, I love you Jesus, oh I love you Jesus, what an awesome presence of the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, what an honor to be here, what an honor not to see everybody green, it's hard to carry a serious conversation on with a smartphone, What an awesome pastor and family you have. You know, everybody I talk to, they, they don't have anything bad to say about them. It's pretty good, isn't it? I usually sing, but I kind of got a cold, so I I usually sell more CDs when I don't sing. So <laughs> That way you just kind of have to gamble on it. Luke 15, 17 through 24. As you can tell, I'm kind of got a cold. But I'm tough, right, babe? Us guys, we're the biggest wimps, aren't we, when we get sick? I was sitting there trying to figure out which one of the twins was the ugliest, but. It's a toss up. Good thing they're talented. <laughs> of course, you know, they have to model the assistant pastor. <laughs> He's got to chase a water fountain to get a drink. <laughs> Luke 15, 17 through 24, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I want to, today I want to give you my testimony. How many in here have a family that's lost? Come on, you got prodigals out there right now. You see, if God can save Nick Mahaney, he can bring your prodigal home. Come on. God always works in, in his own way, and his way is usually he gets the worst so everybody can see his power and what he can do. Father, I worship you. I magnify your name. I'm so thankful for your blessings. I'm so thankful for your mercy and your grace. God, I need you to anoint me like I've never been anointed before. In the name of Jesus, God, for the next few minutes, Lord, anoint me like I've never been anointed before, Jesus. Touch my body, touch my voice, God. Lord, let the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate in this place. I come against sickness, I come against infirmities, and I come against disease right now. In the name of Jesus, I speak against the spirit of fear that brings in depression and anxiety. I cast it out of this place right now. I take dominion over it, and I place it under my feet. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. I was at men's conference in Arkansas. It's been about four years ago. Y'all have men's conferences here, don't you? And I was on a fast. I know I don't look like I fast, so y'all can get over the shock right now. But I was on a fast, and God was speaking to me on that fast. And I, it just so happened I was at the Arkansas men's conference. Now, I don't understand why... At every men's conference I go to, they always make us hold hands with some guy. Do y'all? I was raised you didn't hold a feller's hand, all right? So they say, reach over and grab the hand of the guy next to you. You know, I just don't like that. So, and I'm the ADD poster child, okay? I don't usually preach a long time because I'd lose my own attention. Now, my testimony is my longest sermon that I have, so y'all would be prepared. So. But I'd lose my own attention. I'd be in back in the vestibule somewhere, and y'all would be going, where'd the preacher go? So they quickly lost my attention after I got to hold that hairy hand next to me. And I left the, the tabernacle. I know y'all have been to the Arkansas campground. They got, the, they got a pavilion and I went and sat down under that pavilion. And there a, was a prophet in our, our district in Arkansas, Bill Dean. And I was sitting under that pavilion, and he walked up, and he sat down beside me that day. He didn't know who I was. But you see, God had been speaking to me. And God told me, that before I come back, I'm going to bring in a harvest, a restoration like this world has never seen before in its life. God began to tell me how he's going to push in the 11th hour and our, our children are going to walk through those doors. Come on. Come on, people that were in this church years ago are going to come through those doors. Come on, our loved ones are going to be saved. So I was sitting there, and Brother Dean sat down beside me. He, just, he didn't know who I was. We just started small talk. And he was a paratrooper in World War II, so he had all these cool stories, you know. And all of a sudden, this prophet began to shake and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, young man, I don't know who you are, but the Holy Ghost just spoke to me. He said, I was in prayer two days ago and God spoke to me and said, before I come back, there's going to be a harvest of restoration that sweeps this movement. He pointed his finger in my face and he said, and he wants you to know it. Since that time, I've seen people come back that have been gone for 20, 30 years. Come on, just a few years ago. In Salem, Illinois, one of the founders of that church had backslid. They were in their 70s, and they came to church that night, and I watched as the power of God knocked them down in the floor, and they began to speak in another language. Come on, it's going to happen. Come on, you got to believe it's going to happen. Come on, I've got children that's lost, but I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, and I refuse for one instant to believe that they're going to be lost. My children are going to be saved. <clears throat> Pittsburgh, Kansas, in the early 70s. Now I know I don't look like I was alive in the early 70s. Huh. Well, I was. And my father went to Pittsburgh, Kansas to start a home missions church. This was a predominantly Catholic town, and they didn't want an apostolic man to come into that church in that town and start a church. We were riding around the town that Sunday morning, and uh, we come to a park, and about two hundred and fifty or so people were coming from that park because Caddy Corner to the the park. They say Caddy Corner up here. They won't have to explain all that after church. Catty corner to that park was this big, giant church, and the name of it was Trinity Full Gospel Church. And they looked like they would have had dinner on the ground, and they were filing to this church, you know, to have church. Well, we was all standing in, you know, back then, y'all remember when us kids didn't wear car seats? They loved us, didn't they, Pastor? We just stood up in the seat. Y'all remember that? Some of you elders ought to be ashamed of yourselves. My dad would say, get out of the back seat. Come on up front, boy. But we was all in the seat and in our car, you know, and they were falling past. My dad had his window down, and they made their first mistake. They ran up to the window where my dad was at and said, excuse me, are you our guest speaker? Now, y'all going to have to understand, if you look up crazy in the dictionary, you're going to see Charles Mahaney's face, okay? So their first mistake was, Are you our guest speaker? My dad looked at him and said, I sure am. (laughs) They said, well, come on, let's go. So they unloaded all us Mahanis. We filed in this big old church like a row of ducks. We was looking around. We'd never seen anything like this. Then they made their second mistake. They give that nut the microphone. (laughs) He slid up behind the pulpit. He told them the name brand of his suit, the name brand of his tie, the name brand of his shirt. He even told him what kind of socks and shoes he had on. And he said, everything I own has a name on it or it's bootleg. He said, if you got a baptism on it, it doesn't have a name on it. You got a bootleg baptism. Well, that went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. (laughs) That's funny. I don't care who you are. And just as fast as they ushered us in, guess what? They ushered us right on out the door. But there was two families that God had revealed Jesus' name baptism to. And when we walked out, they walked out with us. They began to persecute my father. They tried to blow the church up one night. He said he didn't mind that so much, but he was in it. They began to they begin to come against them and persecute my mother and father. Me and my dad was sitting on the porch one day. Two carloads of men pull up. One of them gets out and slams the door. Says, hey, are you Charles Mahaney? My dad said, I sure am. They said, good, because we're here to whoop you, dude. And I went, yes. <laughs> my old daddy took his coat off and he laid it over the porch rail. And he was a big old guy. He, had, he, he had, was blind just about in one eye, so oh, he's kind of squinted. He had so many tattoos on him, he said when he was in jail, they ran out of stuff to read. They read him. His face looked like it caught on fire, and they put it out with a golf shoe, you know, just mean looking. So the guy got up, and my dad said, well, come on. He said, I believe I got enough the Holy Ghost in me to let y'all with me. And they started heading up to the porch. The old dude put his foot up on the step. My dad said, but you better pray I don't backslide during this beating, ignorant. And, man, them dudes scattered all across the place. My dad said, you better start whipping or I'm going to start laying hands on you and casting out devils. And when I tell you they got in them cars, and they took off out of that place. I was privileged the last three years of my father's life, I was able to travel with him. And I began to pick his brain about being an evangelist. My father was an evangelist for 32 years. And he's seen mighty, mighty, mighty things happen in the Holy Ghost. But I asked him, I said, Dad, what caused you to be an evangelist? He said, well, I was, in my, uh, I was in my office one night after service. And he said an audible voice spoke to me, told me to look up. My dad said, when I looked up, I was all of a sudden in another dimension. And he said, I was walking down a path. And in the distance, I could hear people screaming and hollering out in agony. He said, the further I got down this path, the hotter The heat began to feel. He said, finally, it felt like a furnace blasting me. He said, and I walked over and I looked over the edge of this pit and people were falling and screaming in hell. He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, now look across this pit. My dad said he looked across the pit and there was tens of thousands of people about to walk into this this pit of hell. He said, the Lord spoke to me and said, now look in their face. And my dad said, what stood out the most to me was I could see every feature in their face. He said, he spoke to me in an audible voice. And he said, if you don't evangelize, their blood's going to be on your hands. He went home that night and laid down to sleep. I have a twin brother. Well, I have a brother and sister that are twins. And they were born on, on my birthday. Yeah. Pretty rough birthday, I'm just going to tell you all, be honest with you. I was expecting G.I. Joe with a kung fu grip, and I got a brother and sister, right? So we all three have the same birthday. My dad said it was because of his oneness, but y'all figure that one out. Now in my dream, in, in his dream, my dad said that my mother was rocking the, the twins, they were little babies. And he walked up to her and said, what happened? She pointed at him and said, you wouldn't evangelize. My dad got up and began to pray. He said, God, if this is what you want me to do, show my wife this same dream. Let me we'll show you how God works. Before the dawn could break, my mother had the exact same dream, woke my dad up and said, look, we've got to go. We've got to evangelize. Well, my dad read that to be an evangelist, you had to have a trailer. Y'all ever seen those little teardrop trailers? That's what he pulled up for all five of us to pile in and evangelize in. Didn't even have a bathroom, but pulling it, we had a 1965 Buick Wildcat. Anybody remember those? The front of it went all the way to the street out yonder. (laughs) It had an emblem on it, but you needed binoculars to see the emblem. We'd be driving down the road, my dad would make a turn, and all the doors would just fly open in the car. (laughs) Now, you see... Y'all, y'all are doing all this building and all this stuff, and great construction workers and Mahaney men were demolishers. We're the demo team. You don't want us to fix on anything, but this car didn't have tail lights, so my father got the idea that he'd run wires from the battery to the driver's side, then wires from the taillights to the driver's side. When us kids would see the cops, we'd say police, and he'd rub the wires together. Tail lights. But my favorite feature on this car was every time we made a left-hand turn, the horn would honk. You can't make this up. So it seemed like every revival we went to, guess which way we had to turn into the revival? Honk! All the Mahanis would pile out of the car, you know. I I can't tell you. How many times me and my brother and sister have laid in the floorboard of that car going, God, take this car. We hate this car. We was in an outdoor service in Wharton, Texas, and all of a sudden my dad got this shocked look on his face while he was preaching, stopped, and was, and was staring out behind everybody, and everybody turned around to look, and our car was on fire. God had finally taken it into sacrifice. You look down on the front row, the Mahaney kids were like, thank you, Lord, for taking that car. God began to use Charlie Mahaney greatly on the evangelistic field. When I tell you there are thousands and thousands of people that receive the gift of the Holy Ghost under this man's ministry, I've yet to go to a church all, in, as far north as Canada, as far south as Mexico, east coast, west coast, where somebody's life wasn't impacted by this man's ministry. He's the only man I've ever seen that walked up in 1978, Eldorado, Arkansas, during a service. A man that was 50 years old in that service, had never seen ever since he was a child. Didn't even have the things in his head to be able to see. I watched as my father put his hands over that man's eyes and said, I command you to be healed in Jesus' name. God instantly created everything in that man's head. He jumped up, began screaming, I can see, I can see, I can see. Come on. The man can see perfect until the day he died. I seen him one time. We was in a church service in Louisiana. It's going to shock you, them folks down there need Jesus. And it was a small town where everybody knows each other in that town. You can have a flat tire, and two hours later, everybody in the town's helping you. There was a boy there that was 16 years old who was born where he could not move his neck, his arms, his legs. All he could do was lay in this chair all balled up. The song service was going on, and I watched as my father walked down, and he put his hands on that boy and began to speak the word of faith. Nothing happened. He turned around and went and sat back down. But in about 10 minutes, all of a sudden, that boy stuck his arm out. He began doing this right here. And just a couple more minutes after that, he stuck his left hand out. He's never moved nothing ever in his life. It looked like a hand took and and snapped him into place, and he snapped up in that wheelchair. By the end of that service, here he is. He's standing behind that wheelchair with his legs shaking. That afternoon, they went to the same restaurant they've been going to ever since he was a baby. But this time, he walked into that restaurant. Come on. That night, Sunday night, you couldn't get within a half mile of that church. Everybody in that town was parked up and down inside the road. They had to open up all the windows around the sanctuary. People were four and five deep in the windows. Come on, you let somebody push a wheelchair out of this church. You let a blind eye be open, this community is going to be shaken and they're going to be piling into Christian Life Church because they know that this is where they can come and be healed. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. That's where the end times going to start. I'm just telling you. When we begin to have a Book of Acts church where the dead are raised, come on, where the cripple can walk out of here. I was in, we was in service in Longview, Texas. My dad would get through preaching, and I'd like to sit on the platform with him after he got done because it was fun to watch him interact with everybody. If you was fat, he called you skinny. If you skinny, he called you fat. If you was bald, he called you curly. If you had a beard, he'd call you grizzly. You know, he just messed with everybody. This little boy walked up about 12 years old. He had been hit in the eye with a rock when he was a young younger. And it was all milky. You could see a film covering his eye. Pastor, he walked up to my dad, I'll never forget it, and he said, Brother Mahaney, I believe if you pray for me, God will heal my eye. Now, what would you say? Come on, I just want to ask you a question. What are you going to say when a blind person walks up and says, I want healed? I know what my dad said. My dad said, son, I know God will heal your eye. He put his hand over his eye. He didn't spit in his face. Come on, didn't pull his shirt tail out. Didn't mess his hair all up. Wasn't oil dripping off his chin. You know what he did? He said, I speak the word of faith. Be healed in Jesus' name. And I watched as that eye turned brown right in front of my eyes, just like the other eye. Come on, if God did it for Charlie Mahaney, God can do it for Nick Mahaney. God can do it for Philip Jordan. Come on. My God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't just heal us in the 70s. He didn't just heal us in the 60s. But he's still the healer. He's still the waymaker. I watched as he cast out thousands of demons. That kind of freaks you out, doesn't it? I've had to deal with that a couple times. I just have to be honest with you. You get a little bit spooky over that. But I watched as my dad would command demons to come out of people, and they would scream and holler and leave these people's bodies. Come on, we still have dominion over the devil. The devil's got fear put in our lives. That's what's stopping our revival right now. That's what I believe. Because the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The devil knows that he can make more people lost over fear than he can over going to the crack house or going to the bar. Come on, all he's got to do is place a little bit of fear and doubt. Come on, I believe that we're going to come against him before this day's over. We're going to place him under our feet. We're going to take dominion over him. Come on, this word says that we have dominion over serpents and scorpions. That means over the head and the tail. Anyway, he wants to come after me. I've got dominion over him, and I take it, and I take authority. Well, you'd think after seeing all this that I would have been the first one to Bible school. The truth of the matter is the only thing stood between me and college was high school. So or I wouldn't have mind going. (laughs) They had me play Abraham Lincoln in the third grade. I was the only boy there could grow a beard, so. (laughs) I went into math class one day. The lady said, if you had 50 cents in one pocket, 40 in the other, what would you have? I said, somebody else's pants, man, I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> Redfield, Arkansas, 1983, senior camp. Every year, June, me and my family, we head back to Redfield, Arkansas, because this is where I left the church. Maybe I can stop another Nick Mahaney before he gets out those gates. Redfield, Arkansas, 1983. 1983. Jerry Dean was my youth president, Aubrey Giroux was my youth secretary, I came to camp that year, I was 17 years old, I had two-fifths of vodka, two ounces of weed, and I'd taken and poured out most of my mouthwash, except enough to dye the vodka a different color, and I stayed high and drunk the whole week. It was on a Thursday, and they caught me out in the woods smoking weed, and they took me I don't. If you've ever been to the Arkansas campground, back then behind the platform was where the boardroom always met the board members, and they took me to the boardroom with the where all the board members met. And I'll never forget as Brother McCool flushed my marijuana. Jerry Dean looked over at him and said, "Brother McCool, what do you think we need to do with this boy?" Brother McCool began to weep, and he said, "Brother Dean, if that was my son, I'd be begging for mercy." Brother Dean, I'll never forget it. We've talked about it a lot. He stood over me that day, pointed his finger in my face. He said, Nick Mahaney, I ought to call your dad. I ought to call the police. And I ought to call Brother Lumpkin. He said, but the Holy Ghost is telling me you're at a crossroads in your life right now. And if you don't get something here tonight, your life's never going to be the same again. I didn't heed his warning, and I didn't heed his mercy And I went back to my dorm after they let me go. And I began to drink. By the time church had rolled around, I was pretty well drunk. And as they began to sing, I tapped my friends on the leg. And I said, I don't believe this message. I don't believe in God. I'll never be back again. 17 years old, I walked out of that campground and turned my my back on God. In one year, by the time I was 18 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic where my hand shook like this. It shook so bad that I couldn't light a cigarette. I'd have to pour bourbon or vodka and start drinking until the edge finally came off of me. Then I could roll a joint, and I'd, I'd smoke dope, and I'd drink all day until I went into alcoholic blackouts. I've awakened in ditches, vomit all over me, blood all over me. I've awakened with my car wrapped around trees, and I'd be thrown from the car The worst one, wake up in jail, don't know how you got to jail, afraid to ask how you got to jail because you're afraid maybe you've ran over somebody and killed somebody or robbed somebody or did something. You see, God will send people into your lives, but the devil will send people into your lives also. I'm a firm believer in this. I want to tell you young ladies something. God has a man for you that if you'll just be faithful to the church and wait on the Lord, you don't have to reach outside of the church to get somebody because God will send you a man that's not going to beat you, that's going to be faithful to you. Come on, that's not going to blow all your money on dope. But you just rest assured, the devil has a man for you too. He's got some little old dude with his pocket hanging way down here. I don't know how they get to their stuff. Their pants are sagging so far down. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but they get mad when you ask them about it. Try it. I have. Excuse me, bro. You're the one with your underwear hanging out. Sorry, babe. I didn't mean to say underwear. I'm in trouble. Got one whisker out here, one down here, one over here. Reminds you of a scripture, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Let me tell you young guys something. God has a woman just for you. Come on, the worst mistake you can make is to look at somebody that's not in the church. Come on, God's got a woman that's going to be a helpmate for you. Come on, God's got a woman that's going to lift your arms up when you pray. Come on, God's got a woman that you'll wake up in the middle of the night and she's praying over your house. But let me tell you something, the devil has a woman just for you. Some gal that had come up there in a gownless evening strap. That'll take you a minute, but that's one of them social security jokes. You catch it after you're 65, but got them eyelashes out to here. Well the devil begins sending people into my life. I was at a party right up the road from the campground. You see, after I left that, that place haunted me. After that, I left the campground. I've driven by there many a night and got out of my car and threw whiskey bottles and beer bottles at that cap, the tabernacle, and cursed God. I was about two miles from the Redfield campground, and I was at a party, and they brought out a mirror with long white lines on it. Guy told me, he said, man, you like to party? He said, this is cocaine, try it, you'll party for days. And I snorted my first line of cocaine, and he was right. man. All I wanted to do was party. I wanted to talk about everything. I I was an expert on everything. And that's back in the early 80s, if y'all remember, that's when crack first came into America. And all over the news media, they were warning people about crack cocaine, how potent it was, how one hit, you could die, one hit, your life was over. And in my sick mind, I couldn't wait to find some crack cocaine. And I'll never forget, we took a radio antenna, and it was hollow, and we put Brillo down in it. And I put my first crack rock on that piece of Brillo. and You could hear it sizzle, and I drew the smoke into my lungs. And when I blew it out, I was instantly addicted to crack cocaine. So the only way I could keep up with my habit was I became a, a crack dealer in Little Rock, Arkansas. I. I I I don't would never stand here and tell all the violence and all the things that I've seen being a crack dealer going to the projects. But I will tell you this: I can't can't get it out of my mind. I remember going to a place called Shorter Gardens in Little Rock. It's a it's a r- real rough apartment complex. I, I go to the door. I'm delivering some crack cocaine to this place that I'd always taken crack to. This time, a woman answers the door. She's pregnant. She's got a little baby holding on to her side, one standing under her stomach. No lights, no heat, no water, nothing. But she gave me every dime she had for crack cocaine. Come on, the drugs are a spiritual thing, I believe. I believe that I'm correct on this. And I believe it is an attack of the enemy to keep families held down. And I believe it is an attack of the enemy to keep communities in check and at bay. But see, I'm looking at some people that have dominion over spirits. Come on, we need to get back to the old ways when we used to take spiritual walks. Y'all remember prayer walks? Walking around the neighborhood saying, you know what, I claim this neighborhood for Jesus. We need to get in our cars and go to the houses that we know are drug houses and drive by and say, I command you to be closed up in Jesus' name. I rebuke every devil in that house. Come on, we gotta realize who we are. Do you realize it right now? Somebody in this town is waiting on somebody like you to walk up and knock on the door and say, look, I would like to take you to church. I began to run around with some bikers in Little Rock. Their drug of choice was methamphetamines. The first time I did a line of meth, I washed my car, the neighbor's car, Everybody on the streets cart. I stayed up 14 days one time on methamphetamines. I talked so much my tongue was sunburnt. That the drug just makes you just talk, 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 talk. And the only way that I could keep up with my meth habit was I became a meth cook, and I began to make, meth, create meth labs where I could cook meth. I'll never forget we did a big cook. We had a big party had bowls of meth. People were dipping it out. They were snorting it and smoking it, shooting it up. And I was, I was probably 20, 21, something like that. And I was sitting on a blue recliner, and my friend named Danny, big, tall, blonde-headed dude, tattoos all over him, he walked up and said, roll your sleeve up. He said, you're going to feel something like a pin sticking in you, but you'll be higher than you've ever been in your life. I rolled my sleeve up, and I watched him take a U-100 insulin syringe and put it in my vein. When I seen that blood shoot up into that vein, I was instantly and hopelessly addicted. From that moment on, everything that I, I, had, I, would, I could do, I would do to put some dope in a spoon, draw it up in a U-100 insulin syringe and put it in my vein. Didn't matter what kind of drug it was, I had to have it, and I had to put it in my arm. It meant more to me than jobs. It meant more to me than family. It meant more to me than my children. It meant more to me than God. So it didn't matter. I would arm rob places, burglarize places, strong-armed people. If, we was at a, if I was at a place and I seen you pull out a whole bunch of money, whether I was in a bar or whether I was at Walmart, I'd follow you and I'd beat you up and take your money. I'm not proud. I, 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 it's hard for me to tell this stuff. One of my closest friends is Murray Ray, and we were talking not too long ago. He said, Nick, he's got that deep voice. He said, God really brought you out a lot. And I said, you know what, Murray? He did, but there's the memories you still have to live with. There's things that I've seen that sometimes I say, dear God, how could I have done that? But you know what? God in his grace and mercy, he doesn't remember them. I have to remember Him." Jesus doesn't even remember them. I just feel led to tell somebody, I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did this morning. Jesus is here, and he's going to forgive you of your sins. I'm talking to somebody in this place right now. You're worried, sick about your children, and God is just waiting on you to give them to him. Come on. He knows every hair on their head. You've tried it too long. Your way's not working. Lay it at the feet of the master. He's going to bring your children back into this place. Come on. Hear what I'm telling you. So I began cooking meth. For 10 years, I was a meth cook in Arkansas, and they were chasing me all over the state. We'd hide out in places and then, you know, on the run all the time. And this lifestyle that I lived People were always trying to rob me or kill me or, and, and take all of our stuff. And I was pulling down into a house to do a meth cook, Saline County on Sardis Road. And when I did, a man pulled open the car door, and he put a pistol in the car, and I thought he was trying to rob me. So I grabbed him, pulled him in the car, and we began to fight. I thought it was for my life. I was fighting for my life, so I was desperate. And I got the gun away from him, and I threw it out the door. And when I did, a, a badge popped out on a chain. I don't know how they are in Indiana, but in Arkansas, the popo don't like it when you take their gun away from them. They might like it here, but not down there. Any of y'all ever been pepper sprayed? You won't even see me say, pass the pepper. I've been pepper sprayed so many times. I'm serious. I hate pepper. I ought to be orange. I've been pepper sprayed so many times. Well, they jerked me out of the car. They, They beat me up. They all tested out their new bottles of pepper spray. And here's the other thing I don't understand. They get me handcuffed, my head's bleeding, and as they put me in the car, they go, watch your head, sir. Really? Where was that mercy about two minutes ago when you was going? They charged me in five class Y felonies. In Arkansas, that's 10 to 60 years apiece. I was going to trial on these felonies. And the drug task force raided my house. And they found a a full-blown meth lab going on in my house. So I was charged with eight more class-wide felonies. My son had just turned 18. And he had been over to the house to see me. Was waiting at the end of the driveway. Wasn't even in the house. But when they swept through there, they picked everybody up that was near my property. And they charged him with everything that they charged me with. We got all these kids right now over in Sunday school wherever they're at. You can't live for God for yourself. At least do it for your children. Because I'm going to tell you, that boy's going to grow up and be just like you, Daddy. That girl's going to grow up and be just like you, Mama. You see, I don't know if y'all noticed them because they were green like everybody else, but there was two little blonde-headed kids running around, an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old. They're not our children. They're our grandchildren. I had to go to court because of drugs and take them because they were in an abusive situation. Just maybe if I would have been in church, Pastor, that boy that I said I hadn't talked to me in over a year, just maybe if I would have been in church and been man enough to live for God, maybe all our children would be in church to this day. Come on, my God, if you can't do it for yourself, you need to be a man and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That means more to your children than taking them to a ball game. That means more to them than killing an eight-point buck. That means more to them than pulling in a 10-pound bass. Come on, God wants us to be fathers. God wants us to be mothers. So they rested me. I had a total now of 13 class y felonies. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Jesus, help me. <laughs> so, they, I 13 class Y felonies. You have to, look, the, you have to understand, I've been in jail more times than Otis a drunk on Mayberry. I don't know if y'all <laughs> know who that is. But I do, okay. <laughs> they wouldn't give me the key, though. And but this time I went to jail and I had my son with me. It was a whole different. I can't describe to you how I felt, Pastor. I was in, we was in a jail that was so rough, so notorious, everybody in the state knows how crooked these people are. It was so crowded they had people in a wagon wheel laying down, head to foot, all the way around that place. And I told my son, I said, "You lay down. You don't say a word." I'll handle everything, because I thought I was gonna, he was young. I was going to have to hurt somebody, and I didn't want him to be charged with anything. Something turned in me that night. My God, what have I done? Well, like I said, I'd been in jail a bunch of times, and I never would get Charles Mahaney to come and get me out of jail. <laughs> I wasn't that stupid. But this time, he heard his grandson was arrested and shouldn't have been. My dad was down there to get him, and, and it was a miracle I even was able to bond out. I had so many charges. That's a whole other story. And uh, I got a ride with my father. My dad thought tact was something you nailed rug down with. He was not a real tactful guy. I get in the car and he goes, man, ignorant, you've ruined your life, ain't you? Good to see you too, pops. He said, you're going to die in prison, boy. He said, you have ruined your life. Then he, he looked at me and, he, and as I was about to get out of the car and he said, if you're not going to let God help you, you better find somebody to help you. Your life's over. I got out of the car. You see, the devil had told me, you've done too many things. God doesn't want you. Your hands have been too violent. You've, done, you've ruined too many homes being a drug dealer. God doesn't want you. And I got out of the car, and I started to walk off. Something turned in me that day, and I turned around, and I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, do you think God would forgive me? My dad, a tear ran down his big old face. You know what he said? Come home, son. Come home. I walked in my house at night and I tried to lay down and all I could hear was Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved Save a wretch like me And I'm telling you, I couldn't take it. I got up, I began to drink and shoot dope and for the next month or two Every time I laid my head down to try to sleep, all I could hear was those old songs that was playing when I'd walked out on the campground. So it got to where I was either going to kill myself or I was going to go to a drug rehab. I'd wrote a note one day, and I was, had my 357 laying on my lap, and I'd never even thought about suicide. And, and I was going to kill myself that day. Let me show you how God works. A backslid preacher's kid I hadn't seen in 10 years pulled up in my driveway and began honking his horn. Would not let up. I didn't know who it was, so I went out. He said, hey, Nick, I come to pick you up. I ain't seen you in a long time. We went, you know, doing things we shouldn't have done, but God saved my life that day because I would have for sure killed myself. So I decided I'd check myself into a drug rehab, and I went into Serenity Park in Little Rock, Arkansas. When you walk in, the jail's on the left, the cemetery's on the right, And they tell you, look at these places, because if you don't get help, this is where you're going to end up. I would stayed up all night shooting dope, and I was so high when I walked in that I could barely even function. I walked up to the desk, and I said, I'm Nick Mahaney, and I'm here to check in. And I was literally hanging on. I was so high. That little girl stood up, said, Nick Mahaney? Your dad wouldn't be Charles Mahaney, would it? And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go. She pointed her finger in my face and said, that's my favorite preacher. I'm calling my mom. We're going to start praying for you, boy. I can't tell you how sick I got. It's, unless you have come off drugs and alcohol, you can't describe the being dope sick. In the, 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 de, the Coming off alcohol is just as bad as drugs. And I, I knew that all I had to do was walk out, go across the street to the liquor store, get me a bottle of whiskey and call somebody, and they'd bring me some dope, and I wouldn't be sick anymore. And it had been a week. I, I, I couldn't take it anymore, so I decided I was leaving. And every day at 4.30 is when we got our phone calls. And you could count on at 4.30 and 10 seconds, the phone would ring and it would be my dad because he was always away somewhere. I was trying to slip out, and they said, Nick, you got a phone call. And I walked over there, and it was my dad. And I, was, I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, I can't do this. I don't mean to let you and Mom down, but I'm leaving right now. I can't take it. You know what my dad in his infinite wisdom said? Repent, ignorant, and slammed the phone down. Now, some of y'all know him. Y'all been called ignorant by him. i would never been so mad in my entire life. Well, that fat rascal <laughs> calling me ignorant. We drove by the place just the other day, and I told my grandkids, that's where Papa got the Holy Ghost. I walked up the stairs. I was leaving. And I put my hand on the door, and this boy said, repent. You tried everything else. Repent. I opened the door, and it's like, I know God's everywhere, but that day he was so real. It's like I could see him sitting over my bunk. And I crawled on my hands and knees like a dog that was cowered down. And I lifted my hands, and I said, God, I don't even know if you remember me, but this is Nick Mahaney. If you'll forgive me of my sins, and you'll take these demons from me, because I was possessed with demons. And you'll take all these addictions from me. I promise you what I, what you called me to do when I was just a little boy that I'll spend the rest of my life doing, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free. And I immediately I began to speak in another language as the Spirit gave me the utterance. You don't understand. As I was knelt down on my knees with my hands lifted and speaking in tongues, I felt demons tear out of my body. I felt drug addiction leave my body. I used to be a racist and a bigot, but when when I got off of my knees that day, that old racist and bigot and drug addict and alcoholic was dead and gone. There was a new man named Nick Mahaney. He was a child of God. Come on. That was March of 2004. I haven't taken another drink of alcohol. I haven't. I haven't smoked any more dope. I haven't put any more needles in my arm. I haven't one time looked at a piece of pornography. Because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm going to show you how God works. I went to court. My plea bargain was 40 to life. This is what the deal they was going to give me. I've never understood this plea bargain. I understood the plea part because I was pleading, but 40 to life wasn't a bargain. We, we go to court. We're sitting in this little room, my father and I and, uh, and my attorney. And my attorney says, look, I'm going to go in here to the prosecutor and the judge because the judge knew me. I'd been in front of him so many times and tell them how your life has changed, and maybe we can get it where you'll be out of prison in 20 years. Well, that's that's a big break right there for me. He was gone about two minutes. And let me warn you, if you ever go to court, that's not a good sign, okay? He walks back into our little room. I'll never forget this. He was shocked. My dad said, oh, Lord, what's happened? He goes, you're not going to believe this. He said, I didn't even get to say a word to the judge or the prosecutor, I knocked on the door, stuck my head in the door, and they said, go ask your client if he'll take drug court. Listen, that is a miracle from God right there. They don't give guys like me drug court. What drug court was is I had to plead guilty to all my charges. They sentenced me to 120 months in the Department of Corrections. Then with another 120 months of supervised parole times 25% my time if I'd failed drug court I had to go before the judge at least once a week they drug tested me two or three times a week they would come rouse me up out of my house in the middle of the night search my house for 18 months drug court they give me a therapist y'all need to pray for Lisa Ramsey she was Nick Mahaney's therapist she's not even in therapy no more True story. <laughs> I slid up into her office the first day. She said, "What in the world are you on?" I said, "I got the Holy Ghost." I said, "I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. Jesus Christ has set me free." I don't. I, I began to witness to her. Finally, after about two months, one day she just pushed her chair back, said, "I've had enough, Nick Mahaney." I thought, "Uh oh." She said, if you'll learn that song, who am I? I'll come hear you preach. I mean, I'll come to your church. Just so happens, I learned a song. She came to church that night, and my dad was preaching. She was in trouble from the (laughs) get-go. She walked up, and the baptistry was way up top. You know, she was a fine Catholic lady, never even seen a baptistry before. She said, what in the world is that? I said, well, we can't drink our baptistry. We got to dunk you down in it. She pointed at me and said, You're not getting me in there. We baptized her that night in Jesus' name. <laughs> baptized her husband the same night in Jesus' name. They'd give me probation officers. I'd baptize them in Jesus' name, pray him through to the Holy Ghost. At one time, over 90% of drug court, Nick Mahaney, had baptized them in Jesus' name. Come on. They'd been filled with the Holy Ghost. Eighteen months. I was finally going to get to graduate from something. It was drug court. Hey, we gotta graduate from something. The courtroom would hold about 150 people. And it was when I tell you it was packed, it was standing room only. They were doing a big push in Arkansas on drug court. Plus, none of the cops and none of the other people could believe I was actually gonna graduate drug court. And the judge called me into his chambers the day before, and I thought, I'm in trouble. It's over. They found something. And he said, sit down. He said, I've never seen anybody's life change like yours, Nick. He said, will you bring a a piano into the courtroom? Will you open up the court session tomorrow with amazing grace? They had every newspaper in the state there. They had all the television stations there with all their cameras Somebody said, what's the UPC going to say? I said, how are they going to (laughs) know? They said, all rise. I walked in right behind the judge. I lifted my hands, and I began to sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I'm telling you, people begin to lift their hands all over that courtroom. I look back there, my dad and Brother Lumpkin had their hands raised. They had tears running down their face. My mom was standing beside her, her little hands doing this, you know, whoop, 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 whoop. I thought, uh-oh. I'm going to have to explain tongue's interpretation to Judge Arnold. And I finished it with that old Gaither song, I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. Judge Gary Arnold had a stack of charges this thick. He walked down off of his podium, and he walked up to me, Pastor, and he said, here you go, Nick. He said, you can burn them, you can shred them, you can frame them. He said, but I find no fault in you. You're a free and clear man. 2,000 years ago at a place called Calvary, Jesus Christ stretched his hands out. You know when they did? They put my charges upon his hands. He looked down through the ages and he says, you know what Nick Mahaney? I find no fault in you. You're a free and clear man. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the musicians come. I want to tell you, y'all can all stand. I want to tell you about a story as I close. Up in Arkansas we have these rivers that we like to canoe and I read a story about a young man that he was out canoeing one day and He went down a set of rapids, and it flipped his boat. He was drowning. He was fighting for his life. He was pulling himself up, barely getting a breath. A gentleman seen him paddle down the rapids, middle-aged gentleman, and he pulled him up to the bank, saved his life. We all know the story. This young man began to run around with the wrong crowd. First, it was innocent. Oh, it's just a twenty-two ounce and a blunt. It's innocent. But before you knew it, he was addicted and hopelessly and helplessly to drugs. The only way he could supply his habit was crimes. Finally, the law caught up to him. He was arrested, charged with several felonies, and he went through all of his court proceedings. And finally, it was his day of reckoning when he was going to be sentenced. They said, all rise. The judge walks in. But you see, unbeknownst to this young man, the judge that had been presiding over his case had been called away in an emergency. And they brought in another judge. And he looked, and it was the same man that had pulled him out of the rapids and saved his life. He elbows his attorney and says, man, I got a history with this guy. We may have a chance. The judge threw the book at him, giving him everything he could. The man sat down there in shock. The judge asked him, he said, You got anything you'd like to say? He looked up at that judge and he said, You're honored. My God, don't you remember me? That judge looked at him and said, I remember you. That day I was your savior, today I'm your judge. I don't care how long you've been in this church. I don't care what your role is. You can look like you stepped out of the Pentecostal Herald and still be lost. It's appointed unto every man to die. You know what it says? Then judgment. Why would you not get yourself right another Sunday and let it go by? And walk out of these doors, gambling with your destiny. You're not walking out on Nick Mahaney. You're not walking out on this great man of God. But you see, there's a bloodline around this church. You're trampling your dirty feet through the blood of Jesus. When all he's wanting to do is be your Savior today. Kind of hits home, doesn't it? Come on, I'm talking to somebody. You've been dealing with some things. It's going to cause you to be lost. God sent an evangelist into this place who will tell you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost this may be your last service. I don't know who I'm talking to. If I did, I'd come back and I would take you by the hand and I would take you by the altar, to the altar. I don't usually do stuff like this, but I feel a heavy burden right now. You can meet him today as your savior, because I promise you, you're gonna meet him as your judge. I wonder if there's anybody who would just step out and say, "My God, I want to. I got to find a place to repent today." Come on, am I talking to somebody? Dear God, help me, Lord. Lord, I don't. I don't want to take my last breath and look up and I'm in, I'm lost. I'm in. I'm in inter, internal torment. Because the Bible says it's where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Come on, just as sure as there's a heaven, somebody, you better hear me, there's a hell. And you're going to find yourself one of these days in hell if you're not careful. Come on, who will be? Who'll make the way? Come on, sir. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Another service. Only God knows the things that you're dealing with. But he's wanting to take you into his arms right now. Come on, all the way to the back. Come on, I'm talking to somebody. Begin to make your way to the front right now. Come on. Dear God, I can't do it another day without you. Come on, don't sit back there. Ma'am, please. Please don't. I hope it's not you. Please come. On. Come on, press your way through. Come on, press your way on to the front. Come on, make your way to the front. Come on, that's it. Press your way on. Come on. Come on, God's wanting to move in your life. Come on, prayer warriors. I need you to come to the front. Come on. Come on, elders. Come on, saints of God. Come on. You know how to you know how to step into intercessory prayer. Come on. Begin to move on down to the front. Help us.
1: Eternity.
0: I want you to hear me. I want everybody in this place to lift your hands. I want us to begin to prayer, a prayer of repentance right now. Come on. If you're standing beside somebody, put your arm around them. Begin to repent with them. Come on, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come on, begin to say it. Oh, God, forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me of sins I may not even know that I've committed, but forgive me, Lord. God, I'm asking you to renew me and restore me, Lord. Touch me with your blood, oh God. God, I've been thinking things I shouldn't have thought, God. Now, touch my mind. Come on, talk to Him. I said some things that I shouldn't have said, Lord. Touch my mouth, God. God, I want to live for you. Come on, talk to him. God, i got to live for you. But Lord, please forgive me of my sins, God. I need you right now. I need you, Jesus. Tell him, come on, I need you, Jesus. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. I've got to be saved. Now begin to shout hallelujah. Begin to praise him right now. Come on, begin to let the Holy Ghost move into this place. Come on, somebody can receive the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody can be healed right now. Chains of addiction can fall off somebody right now. Come on, the bondage of depression and anxiety can lead. Come on, prayer warriors, there you go. I must be saved.